we're in a series right now called Doing Life Together. Turn to the person next to you and say, together. Turn to the person behind you and say, together. There you go. Everybody turned around backwards. There you go. Thank you. Uh, we've, uh, we started this series uh, from the premise, Doing Life Together, that God himself exists in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they commune together. Then, of course, all the angels. That God could have created himself to be just, if you will, a single entity that, uh, that has no interaction with anyone else, like the Muslims declare Allah is. But our God that we serve, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit interacting together. And then the, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, he says, And let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. In other words, we were created to have community as well. We were created. In fact, we don't work well by ourselves. And, uh, and then when Jesus came to the earth and created, if you will, Christianity, the followers of Christ, he called us his body, each one of us being a part, connected in. So we are made to work together. In fact, some people say all the time, I find these people, I love God, but I just don't like the church. I don't like the church. Church hurt me. The church hurt me. Friend, welcome to life. Okay, life is about being hurt and overcoming, right? And you and I must understand that our best experiences happen when we do it together. We see more miracles together. We see the supernatural move of God together. We see conflict resolution has to happen together. Running off and saying, oh, just me and God is how I'm going to do this thing is not even accurate biblically. He expects us to work together and be the body of Christ. And then we taught in the first week the power of that. And then last week, our second part, we said if we're going to be doing life together, guess what that means? That there are stages in these relationships and every relationship have these four stages. We'll put them on the screen for you. The first stage in any relationship is the honeymoon stage. Any newlyweds in the room? Any newlyweds? Let me hear newlyweds raise their hand. Look, they're still smiling. Look at them. See? Anybody been married over 30 years? Let me see your... Look, see? Look. Mm-hmm. They just settled in. Because the honeymoon stage is over, right? Honeymoon stage. Some of you guys here in the honeymoon stage at Church on the Hill. This is the greatest church ever. I lo- A whole new world. Brand fantastic point of view. Stay with us, because at some point, we're going to hit stage two with you, which is conflict stage. Every relationship has conflict stage, and this is where most people quit on the relationship. This is where they'll quit on the marriage. This is where they'll quit on the job. This is where they'll quit on the church. Conflict is inevitable. Everybody say inevitable. Inevitable. Say it again. Inevitable. Inevitable. It's inevitable. We cannot do life together without having conflict. We can't do it. It's not possible. Why? Because we're two different people. Billy Graham's wife said it like this, where two always agree, one is not needed. We have to, we get in conflict. Why? Because you see it this way, I see it this way, and I don't want you to see it. Well, you see it my way. And we have these conflicts. They're inevitable. You're going to, listen, if we haven't offended you yet at Church on the Hill, just keep coming. We're going to get you there. You're on the list. That's why you put oil, because doing life together creates the friction. That's why you put oil in the engine. Why? Because these parts are moving so fast. They create friction and it tears them down if you don't put oil in it. And so as we taught you last week, after the conflict stage, if you'll fight through and say, I'm going to commit to this relationship. I'm not quitting on it. No matter how much I feel misappropriate, no matter how bad that was, I'm not going to quit on it. If you'll stay the course, what will happen is you'll come into a bonding stage. And those who have been married 25, 30, 40, 50 years, you, you, you just sit down with us and we'll just say, oh, baby, don't worry about that. Yeah, it's okay. He, he won't do that much longer. You just, because why? Because we bonded. And once you bond, what happens is after the bonding stage, once you actually get bonded, then you actually start doing great things together. 
That's when churches start winning the loss and getting a lot of people saved and helping change the community. Because why? Because we're bonded. We're working together. Last week, as we talked about this, and I'm reviewing this because some, some of you weren't here, we then talked about that God in, him, in His Holy Word laid out for us how to get through that conflict. He gave us resolutions. He gave us his system on how to get through conflict and get to resolution. And he says in his words that his ways are higher than our ways. In other words, the way you and I would normally try to get through conflict, he said, that ain't my way. Uh, Let me show you a better way, a supernatural way. And so we went through these four big pieces that we see in the Holy Scriptures, first and foremost, that you and I would love the way he teaches love. In fact, the Word of God says it like this, that they will know that we are Christians the way we love one another. The foundation for getting through conflict so we can bond is that we love one another, that we stay the course. And the problem with us is that we've been taught that love is sexual, that love is a feeling, it's an attraction, it's an emotion. None of that is true. Actually, love is a decision that you make on a consistent basis. And the Word of God says it in 1 Corinthians 13. He tells us what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. It don't keep record of wrong. He gives this whole list of what love is. He had to teach us because we're so confused on what love is. We think love is sex. We think that you make love instead of you choose love on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. That little lady who's my wife chooses to love me every morning when she wakes up. And there's some mornings, it's a tough choice for her. She looks at me like, ooh, Jesus, you're going to have to help me right now. By the afternoon, (laughs) I better just go to my room, (laughs) you know, my office. And then he teaches us from love, the next stage is humility, humbling ourselves. So you know what? I don't like you right now, but I'm going to humble myself because I love you. And I want unity with you. And then he teaches us in humility that six-letter dirty word that no one in the church likes to talk about that God puts all throughout his Holy Scripture, and that's the word submit. He teaches us to submit to multiple groups of people, but last week we brought out submit to those in authority that God put there, and then submit one to another. And when we submit one to another, God does supernatural miracles. You say, look, I'm just a volunteer here, and you told me to do this. I don't even work for y'all. I can't believe you treated me like that. Instead of that, saying, you know what, I just humble myself. Man, I don't even know who you are, but you asked me to pick that up. I'll pick it up. Praise God. I love you. When we do that, supernatural conflict resolution happens. Peace comes. And then from there, we taught you the next stage in conflict resolution is confrontation. And I don't know why the church doesn't teach what God teaches that we're supposed to confront each other. Hey, that hurt my feelings. And when he gives us a standard of how to do that in Matthew chapter 18, go to your brother who sinned against you privately, just you and him, and confront him. Say, hey, listen, this is what you did wrong. And then also Matthew chapter 5, when you realize, wait a minute, God just showed me I was wrong to that person. Stop what you're doing and go make it right with them. And then after the confrontation stage, then what should happen is forgiveness. And it's tough sometimes to walk in forgiveness to people who haven't done a, who's been wrong to us, who's done us wrong. And we taught you last week that some te- preachers and teachers say, just forgive, hallelujah, just forgive. Just, you can't forgive until there's been confrontation. Because I, I need to look them in the eye, I need to get a letter back from them or an email or text back from them saying, hey, listen, I'm sorry, or forget you, I don't want to. So I can't walk in forgiveness until there's resolution. And the resolution may be they're prideful, arrogant, and they're never going to repent to me. Hallelujah, I can forgive that, at least I know where we stand. So you're, I put you at a distance, you're off in the distance, I forgive you, God bless you, don't let everyone talk to you again, hallelujah. Or, hallelujah, you repented, we can bond back together and we can go forward with life. Are you with me? But you can't forgive without confrontation. You will say, well, it was the person I hate in my heart is my stepdad who molested me when I was a child. He's been dead and gone. So what we'll teach you many times, go ahead and write a letter, even though you don't 
physically give it to them, but to get that out of your heart, get that off your chest so you can walk in forgiveness. So last week we were teaching you what to do with conflict, how to do it God's way. Today I want to teach you why we have conflict. Why do we have conflict? And we're going to extract this um, teaching out of the book of James, but but I, I want to tell the truth about this. I, this is a teaching that I learned from a guy by the name of Gary Smalley. He wrote a book called The DNA of Relationships back in the 90s. When I got a hold of that book, it changed my life. And as your pastor, I would challenge every person who's a man in this room to go get that book. I would challenge every female in this room to go get this, this book and, and read through I would challenge every person with a pulse who has breath in their lungs, who knows someone else who's alive, to go get that. No, I didn't cover I think I've covered everybody, yes? The mannequin in the back. No, I didn't cover that. But to get this book, because outside of the Bible, it probably is the second or third best book that I and my wife have ever gone through. And the assessment that it has in there and helping us identify how to do life together a little bit better and how to overcome these conflicts. So we're going to extract all of this out of James chapter 4. Turn there quickly with me. James chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 1 and 2. And uh, in this, we see James is dealing with the church. And he says it like this in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? So here's a pastor, a minister, asking the church people, what's causing all the fights and quarrels amongst you? It's rhetorical, of course, because he wants you to think about it. So why are you spitting and fighting with your small group? Why are you spitting and fighting on, on social media with your, with your coworkers? Why do you have these fights and quarrels amongst you? And then he answers it. Don't they come... Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So they come from inside of you. you got conflict on the outside because of what's going on on the inside. He says because they come from the desire. You have a desire on the inside. You want something. And he continues on in verse 2, and he he starts extracting it. He says, you want something, but don't get it. So because you want something and you don't get it, you're now reacting with this fighting and spitting and all this kind of conflict and all this kind of, you know, uh, 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 aggravation back and forth. And he goes on and he explains, he says, you kill and covet. He's talking to church people. He ain't talking about to the wicked people out in the world. He's not talking about to child molesters and all. He's talking to church people. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. He goes back to what you want. You quarrel and fight and you do not have because you do not ask God. So what he does is he lays out multiple reactions, quarreling, fighting, he, he, you know, killing, coveting. These are reactions, he says, because you wanted something and you didn't get it. Now, each and every one of us have reactions. Each and every one of us have these things that we don't like about ourselves, these reactions, and then we get embarrassed after them. And so a couple just, just survey here. In, in Gary Smalley's book, he's, he lists out like 30-something different reactions. But, uh, but just to get a little quick survey, how many of you be honest and say, Pastor, when I get really, really mad, I'm a yeller. I just start yelling. Let me hear, see, show of hands all the yellers in the room. Come on, on you in church, be honest. Come on now. Good God am I. All right, yellers, uh, put them on the screen, please. Next slide. How, how, many, of you guys, uh, how many of you guys are uh, powders? Be honest. You just go and sit in the back room and you won't talk to anybody. Come on, powders. Yeah, yeah look, a couple of honest people. All right, how many of you just liars? No matter what I say, you're not lifting your hand. Don't matter. One bit, I am not saying. <laughs> uh, how, many, how many of you guys, be honest, how many of you guys are uh, throwers? You throw stuff. Any throwers in the room? Yeah, there they are. Yeah, sir. Come on, somebody. How many of you guys, how many of you guys are passive aggressive? Be honest, you're just passive aggressive. Like they don't even know you're mad at them. You're being nice the whole time when you're so mad. You're planning their demise. You're figuring out how to destroy their life. 
There you go. All right. There you go. A couple of you guys. All right. Okay, so these are reactions. According to the Scripture, the reactions are the result of what we want. Hand me that, Pastor Sean. We want something. And so I want to go through a list of some of the things that uh, Gary Smiley identified as some of the things that we want. But let me explain something to you. When you want something, guess what that creates? It creates a fear. I'll give you an example. If I want you to like me, I may not even know that I'm doing it. I just want you to like me. Guess what it creates a fear inside of me that you will not like me? So we'll go through a little nine list. There's about 30 or so in his book. But let's go through a couple of these just to kind of get your brain on the same page with me. Uh, how about this one? Uh, first one, I want acceptance. I want people to accept me. So guess what I fear? I fear being rejected. So guess what happens? The moment I want you to accept me and I get the sense or the feeling or you do something that makes me feel rejected, guess what we do? We react. And some of you throw things. Some of you yell, some of you pout, some of you are passive-aggressive, but you have this reaction because a fear in your life was now hit. Someone hit your core fear. It was a core fear. Say it out loud. You can see it on the screen. I want, I want companionship. And so guess what I fear? I fear what? Say it out loud. You can see it on the screen. I fear loneliness. That's right. I fear loneliness. So some of you are so struggling with your singleness because I want to be married. 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 And as a result... The moment that you're halfway liking someone, they're showing you a little bit, and then they realize, ooh, this isn't the one, you lose your mind. You lose your mind. I must be fat. I must be ugly. I must be stupid. Why? Because what they did was they hit your core fear of being lonely. I've seen, I've seen people marry just simply because they didn't want to be lonely. Not because they were in love, not because God told them, not because they had any real inclination. This could be a longevity relationship. They did it because of their fear of being lonely. Are you with me? How about this next one? I want success. So guess what we fear? Say it out loud. Failure. Okay, so for me, this is one of my core fears. God really had to deliver me. I wanted to be successful. I didn't, uh, we didn't come from money. I had an uncle uh, in my life, my great uncle, who, um, who was the youngest millionaire in, in the capital city where I'm from in Louisiana, Baton Rouge. And I can remember as a child not having anything, and Uncle Bo would drive up, you know, in his, in his specially European, you know, just shipped over Mercedes or, you know, Lamborghini or whatever. And I can remember as a kid going, I will be that one day. So can you imagine God told me, lay down business and go into the ministry? The moment God told me to do that, guess what I feared? I would be broke the rest of my life. Right. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be a poor pastor. Then I moved to Dallas, and they're all rich. I was like, yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> About to ask for an airplane. Y'all be careful. <laughs> and so success. So, the mo- so then I shifted success to be successful in ministry. I want to be successful in ministry then because i got to be successful. So the moment that I felt like you were causing me to fail, you were in my way. The moment if you worked for me, you didn't do what I thought you needed to do that was going to cause us to fail. What that did was that hit my core fear of failure. Are you with me? And so guess what I did? I reacted. How about this next one? Uh, I fear, uh, excuse me, I won't trust. I want to be able to trust you. I want to be able to trust you. I want to know that you're going to be there. My father wasn't there when I was a child. I'm going to marry you, but I want to know. I, I, I want this small. At the last church I went to, I had some problems. No one came and visited me in the hospital. I'm only going to join this small group if I know that I know that, that you can be trustworthy. And the moment that you get sick and nobody calls you, whoo, 
It hits that button. It hears that core fear in your life. And then you react. Gossip, slander. See, I told you they were all hypocrites. Run away, yell, scream, post bad things about people, whatever it may be. See, we cannot do life together without understanding we're going to have conflict. And we cannot overcome and do conflict resolution the way God says when we don't know why we're in conflict. We can't go about fixing it. Last week, we taught you how to fix it. We taught you what you were supposed to do. This week, I had to teach you why you're having it. Because, as James says, your fights and quarrels aren't so much about what's on the outside, but what's going on inside of you. So this passage says it's not about the other person. It's not about the church. It's not about your spouse. It's not about your coworkers. It's about what's going on inside of you. It's about your core fears causing you to react in a way that's causing conflict and pain to everyone else. As they have their core fears that hit you and they react to you and we have this horrible circle. How about this next one? I want self-determination. So I'm fearful of being powerless. I'm scared that I won't have any power here. So the moment that you start talking about submit, pastor, that means you're taking my power away to be an individual. And this is why most people really struggle with the scriptures teaching about submission to authority, to those in government positions, to those in leadership in your school or at your work or in the church. Why? Because I want to be empowered. I have self-determination, and I definitely am scared that you're going to make me powerless, and then I'm just nothing more than a yes person, and I'm not that person. And when that fear hits, we begin to react. How about these other ones? Give me this one. Uh, Next slide. I want respect. And so what do I fear? I fear inferiority. So this is the reason why we have such a difficulty these days uh, with people in leadership, because, because we feel like they're not respecting us and so we won't respect them. How about this next one? Safety. I want safety, so therefore I fear danger. So, bro, every time you come home and tell her, we're going to move again. I found a new house and a new job. I'm going to change it all up. She wants safety. And what did you just tell to her? Danger. And you hit the danger button. So no wonder she's mad at you. No wonder she won't talk to you. No wonder you're having all this conflict. Because you you're not reading the fact that you hit her core fear by going, come on, it's going to be great. We're going to do another one. And she's like, and resisting you. Like, why is she resisting me? Because you hit her, her core fear. She wants safety. And you created danger. And so as a result, she's, she's reacting. How about this other one? I want honor right? And so what do I fear if I won't honor? Say it out loud. Feeling of being devalued. This is why we have such racism in the nation right now, right? Because people are like, hey, I want to be honored too. And when you say that and you do that, you're devaluing me. (laughs) No one's going to devalue me anymore. That's why we have a problem. And so you don't realize you're just being you. But in being you, you just hit their fear button of being devalued. They don't see honor there. They don't see that you respect them. In fact, they feel disrespected. And because you hit that fear of being, he's like, I didn't think that was disrespectful. But because you hit that fear button in their life, you hit their core fear when you did that action, they are now responding. And then the last one that I'll cover today, and that is, I want joy. So guess what I fear? Being unhappy. So that's why some of you will run from thing to thing. I'm just not happy in this relationship anymore, so I want to go find another one. Because why? Because you want joy and you're scared of being unhappy. 
I want to feel like I'm needed. I want, to, I want it to be alive. That's why some of you do some of the things you do with some of your, you know, with some of your addictions. Why? Because they make me feel alive when I feel like I don't want to be, I don't want to live life and just go through the motions, you know. I want to do like they're doing on Facebook, you know. My, my friend who's an idiot, I don't know how he got to go on vacation. And, that, and you see them, that's, that's why I got off of social media. Why? Because I, I, I didn't want to compare myself anymore and their situation. You know, we're out in, the, we're out in, 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 you know, out in the Bahamas. Woo! I'm like, yeah, we're doing a staycation because we have no money. And fixing things around the house. Hallelujah. Right. Because you want joy and then you're scared of being unhappy. So with this, one of the things that, that Dr. Smalley identified is he calls it a fear dance. So the moment I want something... It creates a fear in my life. So you don't even realize, because you want to be successful, you have a fear of not being successful. Because you want joy, you have a fear of being unhappy. Because you want love, you don't realize this, but you have a fear of being unloved. So the moment you perceive that, you react. So give the little dance steps. So he created these kind of da- dance steps to kind of show how we have this whole fear cycle going in our relationships with our, with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have these dance, fear dance going on with our spouses and our coworkers many times. And again, it starts, see, see it in the top, to the top left? I want, I want to be successful. I fear that I won't be. And now all of a sudden you hit that fear. You did that thing. You said that thing. And now I'm reacting. And in my reaction, what do I do to you? I hurt you. And guess what happens naturally? Guess what we do when we react? We hit their core fear many times. Oh, I've seen them do it. I've seen him, ooh, I've seen that guy treat his wife bad, and then I then I'll all of a sudden hear her, all of a sudden she's just whipping with that tongue, boy. Yeah. Well, at least I went to school. And his fear of being ignorant or being unintelligent. And she, hit, she hurts him. So guess what he does? He wants to be respected. He wants to feel validated. And now all of a sudden, she hit his core fear. And so now he's lashing out. And they just deadly dancing. They just dancing. Just dancing around this whole thing. And you got people that used to sit next to each other over here. Now they're sitting over here in church. You got people who used to work together on a team, and all of a sudden they won't even talk to each other. Why? Because they've started into that fear dance, and they don't know how to stop it. They just know that they don't like them. What causes fights and quarrels amongst you? They come from inside of you who want something, and you don't get it, which creates a place of fear in your life. And can I tell you something? The Bible says he did not give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So that fear is destroying our relationships, and we don't even realize it. We don't even know why we don't like them. We don't even know why we don't want to do small group. You don't want to be in small group with us because you're scared that this thing's going to happen. you got this fear thing happening. You know it's what the Bible says. You know it's what the vision of the church is. You want to do it at times, but then that fear starts coming up inside of you. It's like, no, 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 because this. And you start making excuses. I'm too busy. I got this. I got that. You want to get deeper into the church. You want to go through those, those, the, the grow track that we've been telling you about. Come on, get in with it. And you go, yes, I'm going to do it while you're sitting there. And then when you get home, oh, well, what if they don't like me? What if they find out that I used to do drugs? What if they find out I had a record? What if they find out this about me? And what happens? That fear just dominates. And so what do you do? You stay in a dance, in a cycle. That's a dead cycle. Why? Because we all have core fears. Today, my hope A vision for today's message is that you and I would admit, man, I've got some core fears. That we would then surrender them to the Lord. And that we would get delivered from them. And that we would begin to learn how to actually walk this thing out with one another. 
Relationships are mandatory to be alive. Okay? To be the church, there are over 30 scriptures that you cannot fulfill, that God's told us to fulfill outside of the body of Christ. You have to be in the body of Christ to fulfill them. They only apply to us, the church, doing life together. Doing life together will create conflict, misunderstandings, broken pieces. They will happen. He's given us steps on how to overcome those. But we have to back up as an individual and say, why does this keep happening with me? And admit, I've got a core fear. I've got some things that because I want this, now I fear this. And I need God to help me and set me free. When I went through this teaching in the 90s, it transformed my life. It, it, it delivered me. Because I was so driven to be successful that the moment that I saw that you weren't going to help me be successful as a minister, I cut you off. This church would not exist if I still had that same core fear. Why? Because only the top level leaders would I allow them around me. And if I perceived you to have problems, if I perceived you not to run in the vision with us, to win souls and make disciples and heal the sick and raise the dead, if I saw you as having weakness, I made sure you were nowhere close to the leadership level of those who were actually taking the city for Jesus. Can you imagine that? Why? But it was out of my fear. It was out of my fear. So how many hurting people are there that, that, that I treated as though they weren't very special to God because they had difficulties because they weren't the best leaders in the room at the time? So there's a string of dead bodies from the past because of my core fear. You have conflicts. You have broken marriages. You have broken relationships. You have, you have former relationships at churches that are all busted up. You're trying to break, make it right over here. But you've got to get to what the fear is that's driving you to these reactions that is creating these dances and relationships. So let me give you six steps how to deal with these reactions and deal with these core fears. Are you with me today? Say yes. You still love me? Come on, you got awfully quiet. Are you sure? Because you're making me a little nervous right there. I'm not going to lie. All right, here we go. <laughs> Let's get to the six pieces as soon as my iPad comes back alive. All right, six steps to take control of the reactions of your life. Number one, take control of your thoughts and feelings. Your first step, take control of your thoughts and feelings. 2 Corinthians 10.5, what does it say? And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Give them the scripture, please. There it is. When we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Can I tell you something? If I acted on every thought that came to my mind, are, are, you, are you tracking with me? There would be a lot of dead people on I-20. I'm going to tell you that right now. Are you, are you with me? We have to take those thoughts captive. Listen, I guarantee you, Miss Jamie, if she's out at the mall, there's some dudes out there that got abs, more romantic. I, thank God she takes those thoughts captive. I'd make more money, nicer, taller. Don't talk so much. I guarantee that this is how I take those thoughts captive. Let, can I just explain to you? You have to take, and you say, well, how do I do that? This is how it happens for me all the time. I, I'll just be minding my own business. All of a sudden, a thought. I wonder if they really, I wonder what they meant by that. So-and-so said this. I, when they said that, and you know people do that. They'll put a little something in the conversation like, you catch it. I wonder what they meant by that. Hmm. I'll go home. I'm in the shower. I wonder what they would mean by I'll tell you what. I'm a man of God. I'll tell you right now. And then all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute. That's a high thought. Wait a minute. I, I can't. 
In the, g- give me that in the name of Jesus. I command you to submit in Jesus' name. I believe the best in them. They love me. They love God. I don't have time to sit there and deal with these thoughts. These thoughts are not from God. And if they are from God, he'll make it clear. Because right now, all I feel is insecurity. Come on, somebody. My fears of being rejected are coming up. And so I take that thought captive right now in, G- in Jesus' name. You got to take it captive. The Bible teaches that. Just because it's in your brain doesn't mean it's from God. And just because you thought it doesn't mean it's truth. So if you'll go ahead and just realize, half the thoughts in my brain are not truth. That'll help you so much. You think because you thought it that it must be, I feel attracted to that person. You're married, stupid. You're not attracted to her. You're just horny. Stop it. Come on. Seriously, take it. In Jesus' name. Well, they just didn't like me. They all went to the movies and didn't invite me. They love you. Just somebody forgot to hit your name in the group text. They don't hate you. They don't. Take it captive. And then go back and do what I told you to do last week. Um, Hey, um, I'd like to call and talk to you about something. Y'all went to the movies and didn't invite me. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. We just, the group dance. Like, okay, all right, I feel better. Thank you. So, what you doing right now? Anyway, all right, let's go to the next one. Number two, take responsibility for your buttons. Take responsibility for your buttons. He said, like, I can't help it. They push my button. No, you can't help it. Take responsibility for your button. Don't let nobody drive you to that reaction. You got mad, you were spitting and cussing and flipping somebody off down the interstate the other day. Well, they cut in front of me. Take responsibility for your button. Take responsibility. A couple years ago, I had one of these opportunities. I was, uh, I think I was flying, in, uh, flying out of the Atlanta airport back to Dallas. And so yeah, they dropped me off. I got my luggage. I'm running up to security and I look up and it is packed. There must be 500 people trying to get through this one security gate. And I'm thinking, Lord, we're going to be here. I mean, it, it has, it's flashing, 45 minutes to an hour to get through security. And man, and as I'm walking up to it, this other lady's walking kind of just behind me. And she starts walking fast, so I start walking fast. <laughs> and she's trying to get to the line before me, and so I start walking fast. And then she all but starts running. So now I was like, whatever. So she gets right there in front of me. Right, I mean, just <laughs> scoots in right at the last second. I mean, she wasn't even in the right line. I was heading in the right direction. She was cutting across. If that wouldn't have been enough for me, then all of a sudden, she turns around and says, y'all come on up here with me. I might have been okay with two other people, even her kids. But she had six to eight other ladies. They had all obviously done a girls weekend in Atlanta or something. And they all, with all their luggage, come walking up in front of me putting that booty up on me, pushing me back further in the line, just cutting in on me like that. And, wait, and, 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 and you know, and I, it hit, it hit that core fear of being disrespected. I was like, nobody's going to treat me like that. I, that Napoleon syndrome, you know, small guy thing. And I was about, listen, I, I was about to cut loose. Oh, it was, it was, I just finished preaching a, revi- a revival at this church. I'm about to give him a piece of Jesus. <sighs> well, he cursed the victory. <laughs> I was about to give him some. And man, right as I went, I was, I was steaming. When the last one came up with like six, and you know, you know the people that you're going to be forever in line behind. 
because they got full jewelry on. Like, we're going through security. It's going to take you 45 minutes to get all that off of yourself. And they got five bags. You're not even supposed to carry that many bags. So I'm just, oh, I'm livid. And I'm feeling disrespectful. It hit that core fear, fear of being disrespected. And I was about to unleash and, unleash and all of a sudden I heard the Lord say, I thought you loved the hurting people of the world. I was like, I rebuke Satan from talking to my brain. Every high thought. <laughs> We said, love is patient. Love is kind. You got plenty of time to make you fight because they dropped you off early. Ah. So I'm just standing there trying to pray in the spirit. <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden, I hear them talking. We go, oh, my. Oh, my. It's going 45 minutes. Our flight leaves in 30 minutes. And it says 45 minutes. We're going to miss another flight. Oh, my God. They start, oh, my, oh my. And I said, excuse me, or, what time's your flight? And, she, and, and one of the ladies, um, in 30 minutes. I was like, oh, that's not going to work. We got to fix this. And the other lady who cut me off originally, she's like, it's okay, it's okay. I was like, oh, no, oh, no, we will not let that be okay. I said, excuse me. I see this little dude walking. He's got a bunch of keys on his side. That must be he's either really important or he's a janitor. Either way, it works for me. And so I said, excuse me, excuse me, sir, please, I have an emergency. So he comes running over. I was like, these ladies. And by this time, they're like, I think these ladies have been misappropriated. I said, they were, they, they, um, they, did y'all say they missed your flight up la- last night too, so you had to stay in a hotel? Yeah, 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 that happened too. Uh, we, were, we were late for the flight, though. That's what, what happened. I was like, oh, no, no, no. So, sir, listen, can I tell you something? They're going to miss their flight. There's no way they're going to get there in 30 minutes, and it leaves in 30 minutes. And he goes, well, that's I said, listen, you look to me like a man with power <laughs> and authority. You look like a man with authority. And he did that Barney Five thing, you know. I said, sir, surely, surely you can help these sweet ladies. You don't want this on, 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 the, on this, you know, air, airport's name, that we weren't gracious in helping these poor ladies who've been misappropriated. 45-minute wait. Come on, sure. I bet you can get them all the way around and get them through security in front of everybody. He goes, I can do it. I said, you can do it, can't you? He said, yeah. I said, God will bless you for it. He goes, all right, I'm going to do it. Come on, ladies. And as they started, I said, God bless you, ladies. I knew God was going to take care of you. And as I did that, the lady who was the biggest blessing <laughs> turned to me and said, thank you. I said, I'm praying for you. She goes, okay. <laughs> I'm standing there. And I got further up in line where I was supposed to be. Come on, someone. I would love to tell you that that's what happens every day. But hey, one out of a thousand isn't bad, right? I'm batting one out of a thousand. You got to take responsibility for your own buttons, man. Number three, don't give others the power to control your feelings. This is where you're messing up. Yes, you have a fear. And yes, they said a little something that might have hurt your feelings. But don't give that power away. Why are you giving that power away? You run around moping because what somebody said at school. You run Because some guy at work had a bad mind. What? Some guy at work. You hit his core fear, he reacted, hit your core fear, and now you're sitting at home in the living room in the dark and depressed and want to jump off a bridge because you gave power to your feelings to somebody else. Look what the Word of God says. Come on now. Psalms 86.10. For you are great and you do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. 
Why are you letting somebody else be God in your life? He alone is God. What he says about you is true. When he says you're the head and not the tail, you're above and not beneath, it's truth. Stop giving your feelings over to somebody else. Let me tell you something. That little lady that I love with all my heart, my beautiful wife, she does not control my feelings. I love her. I want her happy. I want her blessed. But at the end of the day, he alone has power over me. He alone is God. She's not God. My kids aren't God. You keep letting your kids be God. Some of you, you know, they're starting to become uh, teenagers and you're trying to be like a co-teenager with them. Are you crazy? What are you doing? He's God. My kids are mad at me right now. Great. You're the parent. That's what's supposed to happen. Wake up. They're supposed to be mad. Of course they don't like that you won't give them ice cream for breakfast. But they're stupid. That's their kids. That's okay. And you keep trying to make everybody happy and then your feelings are all out there and you're feeling, I don't feel this and I don't feel this. That's because you've given your feelings to other people instead of God. No one else should have control over your feelings. Stop it. Rise up. These core fear dances are happening. You're just steadily dancing, just dancing around this whole thing. Why? Because you won't do these things and put them in place. The problem's not with everybody else. It's with us. It's with you. It's with me. We've got to get these core fears under control. We'll stop that fear dance. Here's the fourth thing, and that is don't look to others to make you happy. Don't look to others to make you happy. Number four. What are you doing? Why are you... Why is your happiness dependent upon whether or not that person calls you? Or whether they post about you? About me. So, they don't determine your happiness. Joy is found in Christ. And Christ alone is the hope of salvation. That's why you're all over the place. It's because you want others to make you happy. I can't make you happy. I can't make this the church that never has problems. So you can always be happy. I can't make you like all the worship. and Because if you like one song, this one doesn't. And that one likes this song. I, I can't live around. I, we're not going to be a church that appeals to your consumerism. I love you, but I'm not. Well, if you do the kids good, I might come back. They had coffee. Check. He preached okay. Check. Half a check. I'm not, I'm not living to make you happy. And I'm not asking you to live to make me happy. My happiness comes from him because it comes in my security. The knowing that at the end of everything, guess what? At the end of it all, I spent eternity with him. So good times, bad times, they're going to come. Bad problems are going to happen. Good problems are going to take over those things. Good things are going to have bad stuff. Going to have good times in life, bad times in life. But at the end of it all, I spend eternity forever and ever and ever with him. So my happiness is based on my security. My security is based on he's a God who does not lie. That's where my security lies. And so you being fleeting with your happiness, so you keep chasing. If I made more money, had a nicer house, trying to find happiness, had more education, if we did a better vacation, if my kids smiled more, my kids didn't have problems at school, maybe I could be more happy. And you keep judging yourself by how many difficulties you're not having. So what you'll then fight for is you'll fight for safety and security. Can I tell you, safety and security are the enemy of the supernatural. There's no movie about, there's no book, there's no movie that you and I want to go see about someone who just lived their life safely. Why? We all want to know that they went through it and they were going to die and at the last minute they overcame and they were successful. We all want that. But yet we don't want to live that. Okay? You got to learn that God is the center of your happiness, center of your security. 
Happiness may come and go. Joy lasts forever because it's found in him. Here's the next one. You still with me? Say yes. You still love me? All right, you're not going to like this next one. Number five. <laughs> I just wanted to get that before I said number five. Number five, you've got to become the CEO of your life. Stop empowering everyone else to determine your life. You keep blaming it on this one. This was my big issue. Well, I didn't go further enough in, in, on staff at that church because so-and-so was in my way. Well, I was held back because of such-and-such. You got to be the CEO of your own life. You need to take responsibility for your own core fears, for your own reactions, for your own feelings, for your own wants. You got to stop blaming it on her, bro. It's not her fault. You need to be the CEO of your life. It's not his fault, sweet love. He's just a human who's broken like everybody else. Be the CEO of your own life. See, I'm trying to teach you to mature because we cannot do life together. If every time someone in a small group misappropriates you and you quit and blame it on it, well, you know, I'm so tired of hearing, you know, where the church hurt me. Okay. Overcome. Write a book about it. Be awesome. Do a podcast about how you overcame and you did what God said and you lived the way he said and how it was beautiful and wonderful and that person came back around and repented years later. Woo, yay. But... Allowing someone else and other people to dictate the direction of your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts, your life course. That's shameful for you. Be the CEO of your own life. Same power that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. You stand there and say, God told me to do this. I'm going to do it. I don't care who gets in the way. He will overcome that. I'm going to overcome. Again, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? It comes from within you. This is not about everybody else. This is about you and me. It's about what's on side of us. The fears. The fears to say, you know what? I just can't. You know, I just, I can't do it. I tried one other time. And it just, you know, this misappropriated me. Okay. Be the CEO of your own life. You don't need another high priest. Jesus Christ is your advocate. You can boldly come into the presence of God. You don't have to have a priest to say, I will let you in. You can only go right here. Tell me what it is. I'll go talk to him for you. Wait right there lest you die. He destroyed that 2,000 years ago. Nope, come right to me. Through Jesus, come right to me. And so you should never be blaming it on the church or the person or the job or your spouse. That's crazy. Become the CEO. Last and final one, number six, and that is this one. Forgiveness heals relationships. Forgiveness heals relationships. Uh, on our website, you can hear the story, you can see the video footage of Matt and Cherish Adamson, some of my favorite people in the world. And uh, you can go back and watch the video, but I'm empowered to tell their story. Uh, Matt, a number of years ago, he and Cherish had been only married a few years, had a couple kids together. And uh, Matt was, he would call himself backslidden, some may would say, depending on your doctrine, that he was never even saved. That's debatable. But Cherish would make him go to church with him and um, bring the kids. And so one Sunday, she was real sick and had to stay home, so he went to church by himself. It was not our church. It was another church. And, uh, and, that, and that Sunday, the Spirit of the Lord just got on him. He said, I don't even remember what the preacher was preaching. All I know, I was sitting there by myself, and God spotlighted me and said, it's time. Make a decision. Will you serve me or not? He said, I... 
the conviction of God for my sin and my wickedness became overwhelming. I ran to the front. The pastor wasn't even given an altar call. Got down on my knees. I just repented. He said it was unbelievable. He said, I went home, told my wife. She was so excited, like, finally, this is the man I thought I married. And um, he said that night, laying in bed, his wife was already asleep. God spoke to him and said, tell her. Tell her about the two women that you've been cheating on her with. And he said, God, if I tell her, she'll leave me. Can't that just be the past? Like, I'm finally the man I need to be. And if I do this, God says there cannot be healing without repentance and uh, so he said okay so the next morning because he was just trusting God he'd messed up his life up until that point so now why not just do what the Bible says confess your sins one to another so he set her down that morning before he went to work and said I did this I've done this consistently throughout our marriage it's been at least two maybe three other ladies there's been more than two but and she reacted like a normal trusting wife would and she said she, she, it destroyed her, broke her heart. And so she gathered her and the kids and <clears throat> went to her parents for a couple of days. At the same time, Matt's sister was pregnant, about to give birth. And Cherish was very close with Matt's sister. And so, um, and so three days into this, I don't even know what to do. I don't know if I want him back. I don't know if I want to live with this man. He says he's serving God, but how can I believe anything he says? <clears throat> so she, um, the, the sister begins to give birth, and so Cherish goes to her and is very, very close. And in the midst of giving birth to this child, there were some complications with the child, and he, that baby had to be airmedded to another hospital. So Cherish was there, and so she ended up being the one to fly in the helicopter because mom couldn't be moved to the other hospital. And in the route of that, holding that child, that baby died in Cherish's arms. She was... It wasn't her baby. It was her sister-in-law's baby. And as she sat there weeping, mama's not there, dad's not there, family's not there, just cherish on the helicopter as they got to the next hospital. <clears throat> she said she's weeping over the loss of this child and this death, and, and she said that God speaks to her and says, why are you crying so much? And she says, because I love this child. And he says, Pastor, do you love Matt? And she goes, I do. He goes, then I will give you strength to forgiving. And she said, in that moment, a flood of forgiveness came over her. She was supernatural. Now, they went through the right proper channels with counseling and, 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 and making it right because he had broken trust, so that had to be rebuilt. But by the time they got to us a few, about a year later after this experience, they were the greatest couple. I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, they exhibited such love, compassion, servanthood, followed God, trust. He was a different guy. I knew him before. He was a totally different guy. She's a different woman. Their marriage was magnificent. Their kids. And so they heard a call from God to go uh, leave the United States and go, continental United States, and go minister in another place. So they picked up their family and they went. They've since adopted a couple kids. They are heroes to me. But I want you to know, forgiveness heals relationships I'm not saying if you've been done dirty that you have to go back and bond with that person but I want you to know forgiveness heals relationships if you're going to overcome these core fears you're going to have to realize that in your times of core fears you've reacted 
You've created some of these fights and quarrels. You're going to have to be forgiven by others, and you're going to have to forgive others as well. If we're going to be the church, see, I just want you to know, I'm not trying to build bigger buildings and be on television and all that. I want to be the church. I want to do life with people. I want you to do life with, I want you to have people that, that know your name, that pray for you every day, that you pray for. I want you to see miracles happen in your life and in the lives of other families. I want you to be a family unit. But to do that together means we've got to come to the place where we recognize we have core fears, that we recognize there's conflict, we recognize we react. The moment you hit and push that button, we've been reacting, and instead we need to keep those buttons from being able to be pushed. We need to surrender ourselves to the Lord. We need to take responsibility for our life. We need to go ahead and forgive and move forward. The problem is not what to do. The problem is why we keep doing it. And we got to start there today. And admit, I've got core fears. I have a fear of abandonment. And every time this happens, I react. Some of you, this will fix your marriage. That's why I'm telling you, go get the book. That's why I'm communicating. Some of you, to connect, distance for connecting in the church. You like the services, but that's as far as you'll go. You need to connect in, and you've got to face your core fears. Would you stand with me all across the room today? I hope this has helped you a little bit. I'm believing for a church that's mature. I'm believing for a church that's healed. I'm believing for men and women in our congregation who know how to do life together because I know that there are thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people around the United States who love God but don't know how to be a part of the body of Christ. And I know they want to, but they haven't seen it modeled properly. They don't know what to do. Most of us don't know what to do. So these last few weeks of teaching how to do life together It's not a suggestion. I love you, but it's not a suggestion. We have to do this if we're going to be the church. We have to do life together. We have to walk in forgiveness. We have to confront one another the way he showed it, in humility and in love. And we've got to face our core fears and realize the why. You're mad at so-and-so. All the reason you're mad at them is because they hit your core fear. Think about it. If you didn't care that they liked you or not, then you wouldn't feel rejected that they didn't contact you because you want them to like you. It created a fear of rejection and you reacted the moment you felt rejected. That's your own core fear doing that. So it was my own core fear that drove people away. I didn't even know I was doing it. I just knew that I felt justified. Didn't recognize what it was. It was a fear. And you and I need to be delivered from these fears for he did not give us a spirit of fear love and a sound mind. Would you bow your heads with me across the room today? I mentioned about nine potential core fears. They started with the want and then turned over to what that would create a fear in. I don't know what they are for you and Dr. Smiley mentions at least another 20 more. But whatever that may be, would you today take a moment and just ask God to reveal to you what core fears have dominated have dominated the conflicts in your life? What core fears have pushed you to react the way you've reacted? You keep trying to change the reaction and you can't do it because you don't realize there's a root there and that root is a fear. And that fear has to be rooted out and then the reactions will dissipate. Father, I pray right now you would reveal to us your truth about what fear dominates our life. Fear of abandonment fear of failure fear of rejection God show us what, what 
What fears are dominating our life? What fears are causing the conflicts? What do we want and fearful that we won't have? God, help us. We need you today. Let truth come forward today. Let revelation happen in a way that's supernatural. Lord, we all love you. There's not a person in this room that doesn't love you. They wouldn't have showed up here today. They took their Sunday morning to come be together. They love you. God, I pray right now, revelation would happen. Lord, I pray now that you would empower us to begin to chip away at that fear, to dig that thing out. One hatchet, one shovel scoop at a time till we get that thing out. God, to where we can be mature Christians, to where people don't push our buttons anymore because there's no fear to be pushed because we're confident in who we are in Christ because we're secure in our salvation because we know that we know that we know that we're forever loved no matter who doesn't love us even if our spouse doesn't love us you love us get us to that place start today Father in Jesus name if you keep your head bowed for just a moment maybe you're in this place and you say Pastor I gotta be honest if I died today I wouldn't go to heaven I mean I'm distant from God Pastor I hear you talk about Jesus as your best friend He's, he's He's not even a distant relative to me right now. But but I'm lonely without him. I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I don't want to live like this. I don't want to leave this place today, you might would say, and be the same way. Friend, I got good news for you. He loves you. He drew you in here. He's been drawing your heart for these last few months because he wants a relationship with you. You are his son, his daughter. He wants to know you again. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to know the Lord, but I walked away. I, I'm separated. I'm divorced. Friend, this is a homecoming moment for you. You say, well, what do I have to do? Well, the Bible's real clear. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ. The assumption there is that you surrender your life to him. That's the assumption with that statement. And then it goes on to say, and he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to give opportunity for anyone who's away from God to come home. I'd like to lead you in a prayer of repentance, making your relationship right with God for anyone who knows that if they died today, they wouldn't go to heaven. But I need you to take a step with me, a step of courage by admitting that to yourself, to God, and to me. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. No one's looking around. You say, Pastor, that's me. It's time. I need to get right with God. Pastor, it's time. I I can't keep living like this. I want you to pray with me. If that's you, I'm not going to call you forward. I don't want to point you out. I don't, I don't even care if anybody knows about it. I don't want anybody to know about it. I want you to make a deep, solid, real decision today, a life-changing decision. And if that's you, you say, it's time. I'm, time for, I'm tired of living like this. It's time for a change. I want God in my life. Would you let me pray with you? I'm going to pray with you right where you stand, but no one's going no to come pull on you or anything like that. You and Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, would you admit that to God, to yourself, and to me by lifting your hand? Say, Pastor, that's me. It's time. I'm ready to get right with God. I don't want to live like this anymore. Quickly slip your hand down. Thank you. God bless you. Who else? Pastor, pray for me. I don't want to. Thank you, sweet love. Number of hands going up. This is your moment. Don't push him away. God bless you. Be the CEO of your life for a moment. Don't blame it on what happened back in the day. Waiting on somebody else to tell you if you should do it or not. This is your moment. Do you want God or not? I want to pray with you. I see it. You can put it back down. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Two more seconds. Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm not living like this anymore. It's time for a change. I'm giving myself to God. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you, sweet love. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thanks for your honesty. I'm so proud of you. You can put your hands down. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about these words. What's supernatural is you threw your hand up in the air and said, yes, I want God. It's already done. All we're going to do is put a period at the end of the sentence by connecting 
you to Jesus in a prayer of repentance. And so across this room, those who lifted their hand, I want you to say this prayer with me. I want you to mean it with all of your heart. And I, in fact, I'd like everyone else in the audience to pray it out loud as well. And I want you to mean this from the depths of who you are. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I've sinned against you. I admit that I've run away from you. But today I stopped my running and I ask you now to forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus. Wash me clean. Make my life new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you. Jesus, I declare you are my Lord and I'll follow you all my days. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man and woman who prayed that prayer from the depths of their heart, who meant it. Oh God, they know that they're not going to be perfect. That's not pretentiousness. They know that they're going to need you to help them overcome temptations and old sin habits. But God, today they became yours. And Lord, with that, I pray the peace of God would begin to just permeate them. Lord, I pray the joy of being right, that they walk out of this place and say, you know what? If I died right now, I'm going to heaven. God loves me. I've been forgiven. I don't deserve it. I didn't pay for it. I didn't do nothing to get it. He did it all, and I just received it today. Father, I pray right now that they would sense that and know that truth all their days. Father, I pray it become revelatory right now in their heart of hearts. And that, Lord, when the lies begin to come tonight, tomorrow, you didn't mean that. Come on, you don't really want to serve God. You know you're going to go back and do those old drugs. You know you're going to go back to the old messy stuff. That they'll be able to say, no, I don't. I know that's a lie. Every thought that comes in my head isn't true. That's a lie. I'm going to serve God. And it might be messy, and I'm going to trip and fall, but he's going to pick me back up. For he's going to carry me. For he's the God who loves. Lord, let these truths come forward. And, Lord, may each and every person in this room Everyone watching the podcast, watching this live stream, God, I pray right now that the fears that have dominated us would now be on notice. We're coming for you. We're going to dig you out. We're going to stomp you under. We're going to take responsibility for our own life. We're not going to give our thoughts and our emotions to somebody else. We're not going to let our feelings be dominated by somebody else. We're going to take responsibility, and we're going to start destroying these fears and become confident in Christ and walk it out all our days. May this be the truth that we live here at Church on the Hill. In Jesus' name. All God's people said amen.